Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Hope uh, anybody that had a long weekend enjoyed their long weekend. I know I did. I did whatever you're supposed to do on a civic holiday Monday. Enjoyed it immensely. A lot has happened in Blue Jays land since I, I last spoke on the radio. Four days is all it took for the Jays to rinse out the taste of that Orioles series, fix the offense, and apparently produce the next homegrown talent. I mean, who knows what Davis Schneider is in the long term, but for a team that was looking for a spark anything to spark this offense, he's given it to them and plenty more. He, he goes from 28th round pick to major leaguer to guy hitting third on a team with World Series aspirations to yesterday who was hitting leadoff with no Whit Merrifield in the lineup. Um, yeah, it also does, it must be mentioned, benefit the Blue Jays to play teams that aren't the Orioles. I mean, in name only, but also in actual baseball playing ability. Red Sox obviously going through some stuff right now, and the offense is good. But yeah, the, the Verdugo thing was was telling about their uh, potential chances to get back into this thing. The Guardians just can't hit. They manifest starting pitching year over year over year. We'll see another guy tonight, uh, but they can't hit. And neither could the Blue Jays for a a big portion of yesterday's game, but they did just enough. And Jordan Hicks throwing just enough strikes to allow the Blue Jays to win their fourth straight. Uh, Longest winning streak this season, by the way, is six games. That happened in late April. See if they can get number five tonight. Yusei Kikuchi against Tanner Bibby. Uh, let's talk to Ben Schulman, one of the radio voices for the Jays on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. How's it going, Ben? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling refreshed. I mean, I guess I would have to be fresh uh, at the outset uh, to be refreshed, but I feel good after, after a three-day weekend. I feel good after, you know, pining for Davis Schneider, wondering how those minor league numbers would translate to the major leagues and early returns. I mean, hard to do any better than than he has uh, over his four games in in the major leagues, I, like it's not always that simple, Ben. Where you just look at the the Baseball Reference page and you look at the minor league stats and you say, "Well, why can't you approximate those stats in the major leagues?" But what do you think history can tell us about the potential future for Davis Schneider? I, honestly, I think history would tell everyone to pump the brakes a little. As much as I like Davis Schneider, uh, when we were looking at a lot of the comparisons for, you know, he's the first guy for the Blue Jays to hit a home run in his first game since Jay Pierre and Sebia and Junior Felix and Alvin Wells being the other two guys, or, you know, his multiple hit games in all of his first three games of the first since Aaron Hill. I mean, these are all, you know, solid to good players, but I, I don't know that the first series you have in Major League Baseball necessarily projects that well to what your future is going to be. I think you could go 0 for 12 or you could go 12 for 12, and it won't necessarily say a lot about what you're going to be over a thousand ABs. I mean, we saw yesterday in that Cleveland game, he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts and really had trouble catching up to the high heat from Gavin Williams. So I I think that he does look good. I'm not trying to like rain on the parade. I I enjoy his approach. Uh, Clearly the power is there. I too had been really begging to see him and I'm happy that he's getting a chance now, but I, in a way, am a little glad for him that it didn't keep going yesterday because before yesterday's game, it was like, now if he gets this many hits, he has the record after four games. And like, he's not Barry Bonds, you know, like something we have to give him slightly more reachable goals, I think. Uh, And, and I think also he'll be in a, 
in a slightly more reasonable part of the order once Wit and Vladdy are playing in a game together that he's in again. Like he hit six or seven mm-hmm. in the first two games of the Boston series, not to mention Boba on the shelf. Yeah, that's a listen. I think that's that's all correct. And I think expectations, I think maybe the most optimistic expectations, and maybe that's where I land, is that this guy can be an everyday player. Like that's 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 to yeah. me, like for to 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 be drafted in the twenty eighth round, to be five foot nine, uh to be an everyday player would be an insane, incredible accomplishment from David Schneider. And he's just showing the the power for the first time really in in his minor league career this year with the twenty one bombs before he he reached the major league uh, level, and he, yeah, he took advantage of, of Fenway Park, no doubt, which uh, right-handed hitters do enjoy hitting down there. But he's like he's a career three seventy on base percentage guy across his entire minor league career, and that spans over sixteen hundred plate appearances. Ben, like to me, that is the most telling thing. Like if 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 he can play adequate defense at a a, a couple of different positions, and we saw him lifted for defense in left field. Yesterday, and I don't think anybody thinks he's the second coming of Roberto Alomar defensively at second base, although, you know, he's made all the plays so far. But but if he's a guy that can get on base, like, in the bottom third of, of your order and has positional flexibility, I, I can see him having a major league career. Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing for him is not just what he's doing this year, but the fact that he's throwing himself in the running for a blue chase team. That's going to need infielders next year. You know, even if you're optimistic and you think maybe one of Matt Chapman, who ESPN ranked as the second most sought after free agent yesterday after Shohei Otani or Whit Merrifield, who has an $18 million mutual option. Even if you assume one of them is back, there's still a spot open here, I think. And then, you know, the Blue Jays still have things to be decided in the outfield with the fact that uh, Kevin Kiermeyer is a free agent as well. And we know Dalton Varsho can play center field. So would there be a corner outfield spot open? I think that he, he has really looked so far like someone who can handle himself defensively. And yeah, at a minimum, it, it looks like he is a an unfun guy to pitch to Mm. someone that I think can really help your lineup out and can hit a home run for you every once in a while, which, you know, the blue Jays uh, over the last couple weeks have started to hit more home runs. He's been a big help. And now they're, you know, league average to above league average once again, uh, and hitting the ball out of the park. You know, what's going to be interesting is, is how, well, I mean, there's two pretty big roster decisions that are upcoming for this team. One is when Chad green, returns and I suppose you you've got uh Bowden Francis that that can can be optioned pretty easily enough as the Blue Jays currently running a seven-man bullpen with the the six-man rotation the other is when Bo Bichette is activated back to the 26-man roster and Paul DeYoung hasn't exactly you know swung the bat uh super well not a guy that that came over with a a, a high uh pedigree offensively although early in his career you know hit a, a bunch of bombs but yeah he's been kind of a, a He's he's been on a, a downswing offensively the last couple of years in St. Louis. Um, but are you going to option him down to to the minor leagues when Bo comes back? I mean, is is that the the moment in which you you say thanks for your service, David Schneider? Like barring a, an injury, you're you're back in AAA for the rest of the season. I'd be loath to do so considering how good he looks early on. I mean, is it a Santiago Espinal, Kevin Biggio decision? Like, wh- where are you on on the potential roster manipulation when when Bo Bichette returns? Yeah, it is interesting. You mentioned, I I think that there's one big decision coming up on the hitter side and the pitcher side. And we'll start with the hitter side. Like you were talking about, I, I I just can't see them sending David Schneider down right now. It's possible. um, You know, there's still potentially a a week or two or, or who knows even more uh, in front of Bo Bichette. And so a lot could change uh, 
you know, show Ali and I laughed on the weekend, like David Schneider tied Coker triplet for the most hits ever in his first series. Uh, Coker triplet didn't have a hit the rest of that season. So you never know what's <laughs> going to happen. But let's say David Schneider even keeps like a reasonable level of production up. Then I, I really don't think you send Paul DeYoung down. I mean, I, I think that it looks like a competition to me between Espinal and DeYoung. I, I think some people see it as Espinal and Biggio, but I think that there's redundant skills uh, between Espinal and DeYoung when you're looking at the fact that a, a lot of the reason both of them are there is to be a backup shortstop. They're both right-handed hitting. They're both, you know, in theory, plus defensive players over plus offensive players. They could play probably a similar range of positions. We've really only seen DeYoung play short in his career because he's so good at it, but you'd have to imagine he could play second base and maybe even has a chance to be able to play third base as well. And and so I really think if I had to narrow it down, it's tough to play, you know, our chair GM because you don't know what's going to happen and and who could go down in the middle. But I, I think that, that Espinal is probably the one right now that I feel like is most in trouble. If Schneider keeps hitting, I mean, Kevin Biggio, yes, plays second like Espinal does, but he's a left-handed hitter. He plays the outfield, which Espinal doesn't. He's a pinch run option, which Espinal isn't. He has a lot more power, which we saw yesterday. It's the reason the Blue Jays won the game. And I think this year he's been a better defensive second baseman. Uh, And I think the numbers support that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been quite a year-to-year turnaround. I think both of those guys, I, I think Espinal is is a is a an awesome guy and someone that they really like in the clubhouse. I, I believe that Biggio occupies a pretty similar area in terms of his likability on that team. Uh, but I, I, I just think it comes down to the fact that right-handed hitting middle infielder, I, I think you're keeping Paul DeYoung right now over Espinal. And I think Biggio does enough of the other things that Espinal doesn't to make him more reasonable on the roster for now. Now, if it gets close to September, the roster expands, and I think one player comes back up, and then it's more than likely whoever was going down is going to come back up unless they think Ernie Clement or something yeah. will vastly enhance this playoff roster. No, it's a, it's a great, great point. And, yeah, I think at this point when you're talking about your 26-man, you do prioritize defense. Um, yeah, over, I mean, any – and you know what? Paul DeYoung might be a better offensive player than Santiago Espinal. Uh, either way, he's a, a reigning all-star. He was a 2022 all-star with yeah. Santiago Espinal. It's crazy. I mean, it, it seemed like he came up with a, a million um, important base hits early in the season last year to take away that second base job from from Cavan Biggio, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast. You know what else, Ben? It's that, you know, th- there's an incredible benefit, obviously, and it should have actually presented itself in the standings more than it has this season for the Blue Jays, of being one of the least injured teams in all of Major League Baseball, it's like this Bo Bichette injury, it feels like a just a, a, a death blow to this team, except like lots of teams around Major League Baseball have suffered injuries of this magnitude, if not more of them. Blue Jays are, are still bottom five, I believe, in man games lost due to injury this year, which is good. Like you don't want guys injured. And that includes like that's they, they've been one of the least injured teams, despite having Chad Green and Hunjin Ryu on the IL basically the entire season up to this point. But what it doesn't allow you to do is, you know, give some other guys a little bit of run to see if they're having like a magical season, like a Davis Schneider. Like it took until this point in the season out of just pure offensive desperation. And honestly, the Boba injury to get Davis Schneider up to the major league level. Spencer Horowitz was up here, but ever briefly and hasn't been called back up despite him. Like what he was like triple a player of the, of the month uh, in, in July because they just haven't suffered injuries. You know, if this was a normal team, as far as injuries were concerned, We'd see a lot more of these guys, and there'd be a lot fewer questions, I think, from a roster perspective. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think you've seen that play out maybe in the other direction on the pitching side. Like, I don't, I don't know that uh, if it weren't for some injuries, adversity, and other things opening up spots that Jay Jackson, we would have known exactly what was going on there. But all of a sudden, he looks like he's more and more important every night. And he came up with some big outs in yesterday's win over the Guardians. And, you know, even a guy like Bowden Francis, who I, I think you're right, you know, you mentioned it a couple minutes ago, he's probably going down soon. Mm-hmm. But I think you feel at least solid about Bowden Francis and his future, you know, as a potential guy to help out this major league team. And he got opportunities because of some struggles and some injuries for the Blue Jays uh, that have happened in the bullpen. So you you never want to be hurt, of course. Uh, And the Blue Jays certainly have at least three relievers right now that they badly would like back uh, from the injured list and and on the team in Chad Green, Trevor Richards, and Jordan Romano. But uh, they didn't have a, a ton of opportunity to bring guys up and get them regular playing time, I think was a big deal. And they, it seems like, felt like early in the season, someone like a Schneider, someone like a Barger, they didn't want to bring them up and have them sit on the bench as much as they were, you know, subjecting the Nathan Lucases and Ernie Clements of the world to sitting on the bench most of the time because they essentially weren't playing that spot. So now that there has been an opening or two, all of a sudden the Blue Jays look like they have a guy that makes them 10 times deeper because they have some of that second base left field offense that they were expecting together out of Espinal, Biggio, Varsho that they haven't seen so far. Yeah. Uh, and it, what is also beneficial to this Blue Jays offense is guys um, hitting below their career norms, getting closer to their career norms and specifically George Springer, who's now seven for his last 16 with a couple of walks since the start of that Red Sox series. Boy, it did feel like the heading to, to Fenway park, uh, in August has, has been the elixir for this Blue Jays offense. Uh, so even with no Whit Merrifield in the lineup yesterday, Springer not bumped back up to the leadoff spot. I mean, it's 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 kind of chicken egg thing, or at least a, a difficult question for the manager. Do you just keep rolling with what's been working because the Blue Jays are now riding a four-game winning streak, or do you try to capitalize on George Springer looking like the George Springer you expected him to look like and, and throw him back at the top of this lineup. Like, where do you think the Blue Jays go as far as George Springer? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder, and this is just speculation, if part of the reason they do what they did yesterday, I mean, first of all, he hit cleanup. It's obviously like it's it's not yeah. a huge demotion or something. It's not like when they threw Bo back to like the bottom third of the lineup when he was struggling at one point last year. They still have Springer in a very important spot. But given the fact that it was just a Whit Merrifield day off, I wonder if they just like Merrifield at leadoff. And so they don't want to almost, you know, in a way like tease Springer with those opportunities because they would just be few and far between. And if Bichette is back, maybe he would take the rotational spots at leadoff when Merrifield was out anyway and just keep George in the rhythm that he's been in. Like you mentioned, he's been hitting really well recently. You mentioned the walks, which I think are hugely important from August 2nd to August 5th, four days in a row, two to end Baltimore and two to start Baltimore. Austin he walked in all four of those games and one thing that I had heard last year that I really was interested in from Trevor Plouffe the former twin who works for John Boy Media and the Minnesota Twins uh, television broadcast he had said that when he this was embedding purposes but when he is looking uh, to find a guy getting out of a slump about to start a hot streak if he sees him walking a ton Mm. that's when he's going to start throwing down on that guy because he's seeing the ball better and if you see the ball better you're going to hit the ball better. And I think for Springer, it just looks a lot more confident. It, it was weird because it was a really good stretch for Springer from kind of mid to late May all the way up until mid-July. Mm-hmm. And then a couple games after the All-Star break, 
it completely fell apart, but it does really look like it's coming back now for Springer, who had three extra base hits in the Boston series and came up with a hugely important hit. And and you had mentioned Jordan Hicks's performance yesterday. I mean, we didn't even realize how important that Springer <laughs> hit would be at the time until, uh, you know, there the bases were full and <laughs> there was a lot going on for the Blue Jays at that point. So, uh, yeah, he has been, I, I think, pretty vintage George Springer over the last four days. And they would love to get, you know, uh, the normal George Springer back and maybe some of that power, too, because it has still been now over a month uh, mm-hmm. since he's hit a home run. Yeah, that that would be that would be nice. But yeah, well, I'll, I'll take the hits. Uh, I'll take the hit with runners in scoring position. It was just the one yesterday. They only had three opportunities, though, uh, against a, a great pitching Guardians team. It was uh, just enough uh, as they win 3-1 in game one of the series. But ever since Blue Jays departed Toronto after that disappointing Orioles series, They've hit 361 with runners in scoring position. That includes game one of the, the Red Sox series where they went 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position despite yeah. scoring seven runs because they just hit a bunch of home runs. I, I We're all waiting for that big run of, of hitting with runners in scoring position um, for it to line up with the pitching, which has been great basically all season long, and they still lead the American League in ERA overall. I mean, this this could be it. Is this it, Ben? Have we now, have, we, have the two worlds collided where the, the starting pitching <laughs> is still good and they're going to start finding those hits with runners in scoring position? Uh, I'm going to throw a third world in there because I think there are three worlds colliding right now. I think the pitching is good as it has been. I think they're definitely hitting more with runners in scoring position in the Boston game. You saw two Matt Chapman hits with runners in scoring position. And he has been a guy who's actually been very good without runners in scoring position this year, but has really struggled. And I think has, has turned the eye test against himself a little bit with his struggles with runners in scoring position. And I think the third thing is home runs. When you mentioned, you know, that, that Oh, for seven in game one, yet they end up coming up with a victory there and scoring a lot of runs. Yesterday, they only had three chances, but they only had one hit with runners in scoring position. What, what was it really that won them that game? It was a two-run home run from Kevin Biggio. And, and it's funny because runners in scoring position really feel like they matter when you can't drive in a guy from first with a double or a homer. But as soon as you start roping the ball off or over the wall – the feeling slips away. Like no one even noticed what the runners in scoring position were in game one of that Boston series until the game was over because they hit five home runs in the game. So I I think that as long as you get enough of one of those two things, you know, uh, against most non guardians teams, you need to score more than three. So you can maybe (laughs) hit a little with runners in scoring position and hit one Homer or hit multiple homers and have none in scoring position or get a bunch of hits with runners in scoring position. And you don't have to Homer, but as long as you can just mix those, two together I think you end up scoring enough runs to win a lot of games especially with the pitching staff that they have I mean just such a shame that Hyunjin Ryu got knocked out of that game on a line drive because he was looking awesome through the Mm -hmm. first four innings yeah he was and and we'll see if he's going to miss his turn in the rotation of course part of a six-man rotation right now and yeah how real does the the old adage that you know I uh, worry about that problem as far as uh, a roster move that needs to be made when it needs to be made, because usually those end up taking care of themselves and they may have just done so in the form of Hunjin Ryu. But fingers crossed, he's going to be good to go. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi gets the start in game two of four in Cleveland tonight. Ben, uh, it's great to chat. Thanks for this, man. Thank you so much. I will. Uh, I'll say I saw Tanner Bybee in the minors last year. He struck out a million guys and pitched into the eighth. So uh, <laughs> expect similar stuff from yesterday as we saw today because they uh, they just have a million of those guys in Cleveland. But thanks so much for having me on, Ben. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. See ya.
Uh, there's Ben Shulman, one of the radio voices for the Jays on Sportsnet 590. The fan, yep, they just they fallen out of the sky for the Cleveland Guardians, which is good. But the bad news, you actually you you do need to score more than one run. Generally, one run at the bare minimum, but generally more than one run to win a baseball game. It was just one yesterday for the Guardians, uh, and Blue Jays hoping they can keep it eh, around the similar number in Game Two with uh. Yusei Kikuchi on the mound today. So I mentioned, um, fingers crossed, on Hunjin Ryu. Ross Atkins was on MLB Network. He gave an update on Hunjin Ryu and said, you know, he's going to have imaging. And, and it, you know, they're, they're optimistic about Hunjin Ryu's health update. He also gave an update on Bo Bichette. Great day for him as well yesterday where he was moving around with very few symptoms, if it almost none at all. We're, we're obviously going to progress him cautiously and be careful with how we're uh, loading that, uh, that knee. But he had a really, really encouraging day where he felt much better yesterday. So I think we're, we're still day to day as we progress out of this, but a uh, really good day for him yesterday. Man. I got a couple of tweets about this after I mentioned it on the show, after the, the Bo Bichette grabbing his knee thing where it looked devastating. It looked like you know every non-contact knee injury you've ever seen, which is like an ACL, MCL, something CL. Guys miss multiple months. Would you take Bo Bichette misses one month or roll the dice on what's in the box? And I said I would have taken the one-month thing because that leaves – a month of regular season action for Bo Bichette, and at least he's healthy for the postseason. Turns out that the box might have been correct. If you took the box, I think you're going to be on the right end of this ledger because it it does feel like it's going to be much uh, less than one month that Bo Bichette misses. All right, uh, one more clip from Ross Atkins on MLB Network today. Uh, the talk of the town when it comes to this team is a little 24-year-old, five foot nine, Davis Schneider. Here's the general manager on what he's seen from Schneider this season. Yeah, he's been, you know, he's one of the most well-liked players in our organization. There's so many good stories around the organization. When he got his debut, people were watching his first at bat on cell phones throughout our entire uh, affiliate system. And, you know, he's, he's a great story, not only for obviously Davis and his family, but he's an incredible story for the Blue Jays' development and performance system and scouting efforts that have occurred because, it's an unusual one, such a late-drafted high school pick that uh, was somewhat undersized and just kept getting stronger, kept getting stronger every year, and every year was opening up more and more eyes. We were talking a lot about him in spring training, about what an incredible story he's been for us because of the power of resources and leaning into them and what he was able to do to maximize his potential. And the year he's had in AAA is undeniable. Yeah, that's it. When you're a 28th round pick, when you have no organizational equity in you, you got to do it yourself. You got to produce. You can't have a down year. You can't show any doubt. He's done it. Year in, year out. He's not a bonus baby. No scout is going to lose his job because David Schneider didn't make the major leagues of baseball. In fact, the opposite is true. If like you're the guy that was like, I think we should take David Schneider. Pick number 600 and whatever he was. Like, yeah, you get to exalt today, but good for David Schneider. Don't get ahead of yourself that this is probably not an MVP candidate down the line, but no, if he's turned himself into a, a major league caliber player, that's an incredible, incredible development story for, uh, from the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, when we come back, 
So it's not been a great news story for Canada soccer over the last number of months, and it didn't get any better today. It was announced that the men's team won't be taking advantage fully of the upcoming international window. They're only going to play one of a potential four games over September and October. And we'll talk to Davis Schneider's minor league manager, Casey Candell, Buffalo Bisons manager, joins us next, as well as Josh Cloak of The Athletic. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. So the Canadian women's soccer team bound out at the group stage of the Women's World Cups. So, like, the idea that they would have some rousing success at that tournament that will take some of the pressure off Canada soccer, some of the attention away from the off-field stuff, that's done. And now we're looking at a men's team that because of quote-unquote financial constraints, cannot effectively take advantage of their upcoming international window in September and October. They're going to play a match, though. One in Japan against Japan in October, but that's it. Not going to play in September. Uh, United States, Mexico, Jamaica, they're all playing four games over September and October in this upcoming international window, but not Canada because we're broke. Uh, Let's talk to Josh Cloak of The Athletic. How's it going, man? I, I like that segue. We go from talking about being broke, and then you hit me. Like, what is, is that foreshadowing? No. What's going on here? We know you're 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 a man of means, uh, right? Like, well, you're you're uh, you're traipsing around the world. You're, you're a world traveler, aren't you? Weren't you just on vacation? Uh, I'm heading on vacation uh, in a few weeks. I'm heading to Italy. Uh, there you go. So. Yeah, very excited about that. We can talk about that, or we can talk about the dire kind of financial state of, of Canada soccer right now. Your choice. Uh, well, I do. I've never been to Italy. But, yeah, we should probably stay on topic, I guess. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I mean, we'd heard about this potential uh, reality, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. But now it is a reality. Um, what's your level of surprise, and what does this indicate to you? My level of surprise here is quite low. I, I, what this indicates to me is that Canada soccer, driven by you know John Herdman in particular, is in a little bit of a tight spot. I mean, a very tight spot um, when we look at the big picture. But just thinking about the men's team, because if you're John Herdman, you believe that this men's team is is good enough that you should only be playing you know top tier opponents and friendlies, and and that's the way that you kind of better yourself as a team. That's the way you improve ahead of, you know, key Copa America qualifiers. And so, you know, the list of teams that you would want to play gets whittled down, right? You mentioned Jamaica off the hop. Like, I don't, do we have it off, uh, you know, who Jamaica is playing? I'm going to bet that they're the kind of teams that maybe are a bit below the the, the kind of teams that John Herbin wants to play. So, you know, when you look at those type of teams that John Herbin wants to play, those are expensive teams to book friendlies with gets difficult to do that. I think Japan is a good team, right? This is a team that beat Germany in the World Cup. So, like, that's a good get. And those are the types of teams that Canada should be playing. But, you know, it's it would be easy to book, like, I don't know, I'm pulling names out of a hat here, Cuba. Yes, you could book a friendly against Cuba. But how much is that going to help your team? So I think that's kind of the the... the 
you know, the spot that John Herdman and his team find themselves in. And that's why it was so difficult to, to book friendlies. Right. Okay. I mean, the, the way it's being uh, presented to, uh, to us is that it's, yeah, financial constraints. So how does, how does that line up? And the, the one that they are going to play is in uh, Japan. So obviously, I, I don't know how the gate revenue works or how the, the sharing of funds work um, when you're playing in another nation. But, like, conceivably, with the amount of star power on this men's national team, you could have, I, I don't know, I, and I guess it does depend on the opponent as well, but, like, fill a BMO field and, and recoup... Like it feels like, you know, you you can't play the matches because of financial constraints. Aren't the matches though supposed to be money makers for this team? I'm confused. Yes and no, and and it is kind of these are murky waters that that we're kind of diving into when it comes to international friendlies. First thing to remember here, you know, when it comes to the September window, yes, it looks like Canada won't play games in the September window. You have to eliminate the European teams right away because they're playing Euro qualifiers. Right. So those teams are, aren't kind of available to play. And again, if you're looking for really, really good opponents, you know, half the good teams in the world have been eliminated. So so that's difficult right away. There's a few ways that, you know, international friendlies work. One, generally, if you travel to a, a place to play, you get paid a match fee. And depending on how big your team is, you can command a pretty hefty match fee and you know, sometimes that match fee will be more than the money you might get at the gate, right? So mm-hmm. so there's that, and this is the route that Canada Soccer chose to take. And yes, like they could have said, let's book a friendly against, again, Cuba, El Salvador, whoever it is, and we can try and fill BMO Field. There's no guarantee that you will. Um, I think if you're Canada Soccer, you've probably taken the temperature of the general public right now, and you know that you know, the men's team, the women's team, they're not being held in the kind of high esteem that they were in 2022, for example. So this is the choice that you made. And and John Herdman as well, like we know, or I know, you know, John Herdman likes to get his team out kind of of the public eye. He likes to get them away so they can kind of do their team bonding. They can kind of put themselves in difficult, unfamiliar scenarios. So I think that was probably the thinking here with the Japan one. So no guarantee you would have drawn a lot of gate revenue mm. this, you know, and this time they took the match fee. And I, I, I think if you're Canada soccer, I, I think you're right. They probably believe we've got Davies, we've got David, we've got Buchanan players that people should want to come see, but it doesn't always work like that. Right. Yeah. It, it is weird. I mean, this is Jason DeVos hasn't done any, um, any like just direct media. There was not a press conference, but I think just about, Every reporter has the the same quote from him that it's due to financial constraints that they're not playing these matches. Do you think that was like purposeful by him to to? I mean, he was the guy that that first alerted us to the potential of of bankruptcy. Like, what do what, what do you think his mo is here? I think their Canada Soccer is trying to be a little more transparent than they were under Nick Bontis, and I'm not saying they deserve to be commended for that, but it's a small step in the right direction, right? This is the same organization that was just kind of shrouded in secrecy for years. And, and they're by no means out of the woods at all. But I think if you're Canada soccer, you, you understand that, you know, you took it on the chin for years, you, you really, really kind of bad PR for years. And now I think if they're trying to be transparent that, you know, being upfront and, you know, they buried the lead a little bit by saying, yeah, we've got a friendly in, in October and it's against a decent opponent. 
but also we're not going to play in September, you know, and that was kind of buried a little, little lower down the press release. But I think it's just a, a, a respectable attempt at transparency because, you know, the questions were going to follow anyway, right? What are you going to do in September? Um, it's still possible that they do something, but I wouldn't be, you know, banking on it right now. Yeah, uh, that's a bummer because this is, this is a team yeah. that, that is, you know, the, despite the off-field stuff and despite the disappointment of the World Cup, uh, a team that people want to see. And, uh, yeah, it w- would have been nice to see them more than once. And uh, I imagine a game against Japan that's not exactly going to be uh, in prime time viewing windows for, for those of us in, in North America. I, w- I want to ask you a couple MLS questions before we let you go, Josh. Um, Messi has now scored a brace in all three of his starts for, for Miami. Uh, they haven't lost with him also in, in the lineup. Apple TV apparently beating its subscriber estimates, and I don't know if any of that is surprising, but does it make it more likely, like the the Killian Mbappe thing is now I'm I'm seeing being bandied about in various circles. He's already said he's not going to do the the Saudi Arabia thing, and and it does feel like Real Madrid is where he's likely headed, but I mean, is it, can we now dream on that because of the rousing success of Messi, or are they not correlated? Yeah, like Messi coming and then being followed by rumors of, of Neymar and Mbappe kind of reminds me of like when I go to like a really good restaurant and I, you know, I, I get this fantastic meal and it's so good. And like, I, you know, being full hasn't set in yet. So I'm like, <laughs> let me order something else right away. Right. You think you can kind of beat everybody to the punch and then you do, you get two bites in and you're like, oh, I feel terrible. Um, and I'm not saying that's what would happen but that's it just kind of reminds me of of that you know your your stomach is is bigger than your eyes or your eyes are bigger than your stomach or whatever like I, I just think that's kind of what's happening here is you you knock it out of the park with Messi, and so you know I'm sure some of the biggest owners um in MLS are saying well wait a sec if, if this happened why don't we keep going I mean first of all we need to remember that the MLS transfer window is closed so you know, MLS teams literally can't add any players. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to pour too much cold water on this, but, you know, that's not going to happen. I guess if you're Neymar in particular, like Mbappe, I, I don't know. I, I refuse to believe he's going anywhere else. But Real Madrid, like he's arguably the best player in the world in his prime. I, yeah. You know, no, dis- no disrespect to the sporting Kansas cities of the world. I don't know why <laughs> he would come, you know, Neymar's a little bit older and, you know, I, I I'm sure that, you know, the, the North American lifestyle tempts him, you know, in, in some fashion. And I think it would for a lot of players. That's the, the takeaway here is that like, you know, I think players realize they can go, they can get paid, you know, perhaps not as much as they would in Europe, but you know, quite a decent amount of money and they can live a glamorous lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Messi is, is the toast of Miami. He's, you know, Miami is, is where Argentina is setting up a new training base. Like this is a second home for him. And if you're a, you know, if you're a European or, or South American star and you've long been kind of wooed by living in New York, living in LA, you can do this, but you can also live kind of a, anonymously in a way that you might not be able to in Paris or Barcelona or wherever. So I think that's something that, that MLS is, you know, owners are probably going to try and use, to, to sell players, but Neymar, I don't know. Mbappe, I would be shocked if he even <laughs> entertains a conversation. I mean, if it's just about money, yeah, I, I, I know there's some ownership groups in uh, European football that would be hard to top. Hard to top Apple, though. Uh, so, I, I, And I don't know how much of, of the bill Apple is footing uh, for Messi, and maybe there's none left over for anybody else. But, yeah, Apple has uh, some ducats. All right, before we let you go, 
Messi has been so good in such mm-hmm. limited sample. And I, I know he's in his mid-30s, but he's not that far removed from, like, December winning the World Cup and looking like the best player in it. Um, is there in any way, like, is there a flip side to this coin at all where he, he makes MLS look rinky-dink? I mean, which it is, obviously, compared to the biggest European leagues. But is he, is he like, having – is it too easy for him? I mean, it, I, I get that argument. I've seen that argument crop up on Twitter I, I'm there's, there's two things here. Like one, can't we just enjoy something? Like, can't we, no. just, can't we, no, I didn't think so, but like, you know, can't we just enjoy the fact that, you know, we get to watch Messi week after week live. And two, like, I, I understand that like Messi is just running amok and making MLS, you know, defenders look bad. He would do that with Barcelona, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much with PSG. I think there was a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. I don't think he was, you know, enjoying his football as much, but he was doing that with Barcelona. He was doing that with Argentina. It's not just that, you know, he gets here and he looks at, you know, some of the defenders for Orlando and and says, well, look, I'm just going to make an entire soccer culture look bad here. Like if you watched Messi week after week, this shouldn't be surprising. He's the greatest soccer player of all time, like unequivocally for me. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he's doing this is it shouldn't be, so much an indictment on MLS defenders as it should be just a celebration of what he can do. Because again, two years ago, it was in Barcelona. He was doing this in, in La Liga, you know, arguably the best league in the world. So, and I didn't see as many complaints then, right? No. And I'm pretty sure the net is the same size. So like when you're taking a free kick from just outside the area, like that's the same deal, (laughs) no matter what league you're in, uh, which he's done in his brief time with Miami as well. Josh, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Anytime. Take care. All right, you too. This is Josh Cloak of The Athletic. So Davis Schneider is the newest sensation for the Toronto Blue Jays, although he had his first hitless game yesterday. Uh, three of the four games he's played in the major leagues, though, he's had hits. And in two of those three games, he hit home runs. Uh, not surprising, I'm sure. To our next guest, Casey Kendall, Buffalo Bisons manager, joins us online right now. Casey, thanks for doing this. How's it going? Hi, all right, man. What's happening? Uh, we're just enjoying the, the, the work of, of Davis Schneider. And I'm sure, like, when you get to tell a guy that he's going up to the major leagues, that must be the, the highlight of your job. But for a guy who's, you know, diminutive, he's five foot nine, he's a 28th round pick and, and had to, to fight for everything. I mean, that, that, tell, me, tell me what it was like telling Davis that he was headed up to the Blue Jays. Oh, it was, it was fun because I, I made up a story that he was in trouble. So. He was kind of scared, and um, he was sitting there, kind of. No, I was. I didn't do anything. And I said, "Well, well, the real reason is I have some information. You're going to the big leagues, and you're going to make your debut in Boston." So it was kind of cool. It was great. It's just he's a wonderful human being. He's he's been a grinder since he got here. Um, you know, as is the story. He was, you know, thinking about hanging him up, you know, a little bit, but. You know, continued to work and, and you know, has got rewarded for a highly deserved uh, spot. So it's it's been great to watch. It's it's uh, it's tremendous. I think he's got more hits now than I had in my career in three days. <laughs> well, and I, I called them diminutive. You guys are listed at the same height. You're both five foot nine. Right. So did, did did you guys commiserate with that? That yeah, hey man, I made it to the major leagues at the same height. Yeah, he's only one of the only players I can look eye to eye to, so it's kind of nice. <laughs> That's great. I mean, he's had... So I'm like, a big fan. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of him. 
<laughs> did, did you have you gotten a chance to to watch him? Obviously, you're, you're busy with the Bisons, but yeah, how, how much of of his major league time have you seen in the, in the four games he's played? Well, oddly enough, Matt Haig, our, our hitting coach, brought his phone out the first start that he had while we were playing in Lehigh Valley, and we were in the middle of scoring some runs, and he had his first at bat and hit a home run, so it was pretty uh, pretty amazing. I think our bullpen had a phone out there too. <laughs> which I find them for because they're not supposed <laughs> to have it out there. But but um, everybody was really excited, and, and he was just a tremendous teammate while he was here. And, again, um, everybody was excited for him. So it's been a, it's been fun to watch. Well, what's made him so successful this year? Because, yeah, the numbers jump off the page. The, the power numbers are up. Like, how how, is it, how has he been able to do it uh, in AAA and then eventually the major leagues this uh, this season? Well, he was, you know, he had been an extra player um, a lot of his, his career in professional baseball. He got an opportunity last year to play a lot, and he put up some good numbers. He's always been a worker. He is. He comes to the field every day, and he works, works, and works, and works, and he's gotten himself better. He made himself better defensively. He just started playing the outfield this year, you know, and – has made great progress. So he's a guy that that kind of looks at things and knows what he has to do, and you give him something to do, and he goes out and he does it, and he's elite at um, understanding the strike zone, and he gets pitches that he wants to hit, and it's when he he um, he's just he does some things that are are really good, and he he has developed power from. You know, being a high school kid, graduated. I mean, um, signing at 18 years old, and now has developed into you know pretty strong individual and able to hit the ball out of the park at, at all in all areas. So he's he's uh he's done a lot of work on his own to get better, and and you know a lot of the, you know player development people have have kind of guided him along the way, and he's listened to them and and also you know took advantage of opportunity. Yeah, and, and he's playing defense, at least on the infield, with a glove he found at the lost and found, apparently. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's working for him. Um, you have another yeah. guy. You you know what? Blue Jays fans do a lot of, obviously, every season looking at the, the, the AAA box scores for, for highly touted prospects. you you got a number of them right now that are just knocking on the door. I mean, in the case of Spencer Horwitz, has already made his major league debut this season. But I... I Let's start maybe with the Relvis Martinez, who's who's only getting his feet wet at the the AAA level. Had to repeat Double A this season, but really did cut down on the strikeouts and and up the walks. Um, I, I don't know if he's playing every day for you. I, I know he I, he didn't start at least on on Sunday. Uh, what have you seen in limited time from a Relvis Martinez? Um, he's, he's got he's got a lot of power. Uh, again, like you said, he's getting his feet wet here. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty good jump from Double uh, A AA to Triple A, but he's holding his own. He's he's putting together some really good at bats. Um, you haven't seen the power power yet, but that's again, he's he's at another level. He's 22 years old. He's um, facing some veteran pitchers, and and he's 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 adjusting well. Um, you know, he's he's playing the left side of the infield mostly. Uh, we'll probably move around a little bit more, but. Uh, but he's he's doing a good job, and he's um, you know, like I said, getting used to it here and and working hard. So he's he's a pleasure to have. Uh, I, men- I mentioned Horwitz, who impressed in his brief uh, tenure in in the major leagues this season. 
for the Blue Jays. I, I'm sure when when guys get their first taste of the major leagues, that there is the possibility of of like a letdown when they get sent back down. But that hasn't been the case for him. Like, I, how how consistent has Spencer Horowitz been all season long? Oh, he's just done what he does. I think every year he he's uh, you know, he kind of just grinds it out and and puts together tremendous at bats. Again, another elite. Uh, um, hitter that knows the strike zone and gets good pitches to hit and has the ability to handle all different types of uh, pitches and pitching. And he is a, he's masterful at preparing, um, you know, game planning against pitchers that he's facing. And uh, Matt Hag does a great job of, of giving him the information. And he, uh, he uses it uh, probably, probably, um, you know, more than most people. He's a, he really studies what he, where the guy, where the guy's going to throw the ball, what kind of pitches he's throwing, what what his pitches do, and he's uh, he's basically a student of hitting, and he he knows how to hit, and he doesn't do a lot of uh, wasted movement, so he's going to be consistent probably most of his career. Yeah, and he spent most of his, most of his time at first base. The Blue Jays obviously have a a guy pretty entrenched at that position at the major league level. I've also seen him, you know, twenty one games in, in left field. How does how is his uh, defense improving in, in a corner outfield spot? Well, he's getting better. I mean, it's it's hard to make that adjustment. I mean, the first thing for an infielder is you're you know that you haven't if you haven't played a lot of outfield, you're terrified of balls being hit over your head, and yeah, and so the ability to turn and run to a ball is the hardest thing to learn if you've played extensively in the infield and haven't really been out in the outfield. So. It's a it's a learning process, and you have to you have to get a lot of reps out there. He's getting better, um, you know. So, so it's just a it's a work in progress. But um, you know, he handles his he handles his own out there. He does a good job. Uh, lastly, before that, you go, Addison Barger, a, a guy that was uh, a prospect of of intrigue going into the season. I know he's he's had his season interrupted by by injury. Where where is he at, as far as getting back to his full potential? Um, he's you know he's he's. There's been uh, flashes of it, um, but um, again, he was like you said, sidelined for a while with the injury. Came back, uh, getting back in the groove. He, um, you know, has been swinging the bat recently a lot, lot better than than earlier. Um, and he's again another guy who's young, who's adjusted to a new league and and getting used to you know facing some quality pitching day in and day out. But, um, you know, he looks – I mean, he's definitely uh, one to look at that has uh, immense power and hits the ball consistently over 100 miles an hour. And, and so he plays solid defense and been playing some outfield himself. So, I mean, you know, it's always good to have that versatility, and he's he's one to watch, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, we will be watching. Um, actually, this is the last one. Automated str- uh, strike zone. Where are you on that, Casey? Uh, because I, I think a lot of people in these parts really enjoyed seeing Aaron Boone get ejected, getting into it a little bit with Laz Diaz. Like, that's an element <laughs> of the game. I don't want to lose uh, as, as much as I, I'm interested in, in getting the call correct. Like, how how have you adjusted? How's it how's it looked in, in AAA with the automatic, uh, automatic strike zone? It's pretty funny. I just spoke with... Uh actually spoke with Jason Stark about this exact thing. And I said, I said, you know, um, basically the only way you can get thrown out of a major league game now as a manager or coach is to argue balls and strikes now. <laughs> so, yeah. so when they do the out, if they do the automated zone, no, nobody's ever getting thrown out of a game again. But, uh, 
I'm sure some people will find a way. But, uh, you know, the, the ABS, the full ABS system, um, the only, I mean, it, it seems to be um, pretty locked in and pretty good and pretty consistent. Um, looks like a little bit, they, it doesn't call the high pitch as much mm-hmm. as in the past. Uh, and I think the low pitch gets called more often. Uh, also, uh, we instituted the clock to speed games up, and with the ABS, they are about three and a half, three fifteen, three and a half hours again. So, if they want quicker games, the ABS system is probably not going to be the thing, the way to go. Just my personal opinion. Mm. Um, the challenge system, where hitters and catchers and pitchers are able to challenge the umpire's call is a for me a bet, better system just because um you know you're not you're not taking as much time to um you know try and throw strikes and if a hitter has a problem with the call or a catcher has a problem with the call they could challenge it you get three a game and so it seems that the game still moves along quickly and you just kind of make sure the call gets right by challenging no that seems like the the best one I've seen and, and probably the way yeah. major league baseball is going to go, but apparently not as early as, as next season, maybe the season beyond that. Anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's pretty interesting, but it's, it's, it seems it's, I mean, I like that system better and, and it just keeps everything moving along and, and, and um, it gets, it gets the, the calls right. So it's good. And then maybe when you run out of challenges, that's when you get ejected, then we'll still see manager ejections. There right? you go. That's it. That's it. I guess so. You waste your you waste your you waste your uh, challenges early, so you can yell at umpires. I, <laughs> I need that element of the game. Can't afford to lose that. Uh, Casey, this yeah. <laughs> this was great. Uh, thanks so much. Great job with the the Bisons this year. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it was Casey Candell, Buffalo Bisons manager. Um, yeah, that's got to be the greatest one. Telling guys they get they're getting the call. To the uh, major leagues, I like for guys that are highly touted prospects. Like I'm, not, I'm sure it's not a surprise. But even for a guy that's having a great season, like David Schneider, who knows? Maybe there's an alternate reality where he's not in the major leagues this year. Anyways, uh, thanks to Casey for that. When we come back, Eric Carlson finally moved, as predicted by our very own Elliot Friedman in a clip that we played last Friday. We'll talk to a guy that covered Eric Carlson for the first nine years of his career. Ian Mendez out of Ottawa, writer for The Athletic, joins me next. The Fan Drive Time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. It's August. Big hockey news. I actually stepped inside a hockey rink in July for the first time in my entire natural life this year. My seven-year-old and my five-year-old wanted to skate, so we did that. So, listen. Hockey season is a 12-month thing in this country. Uh, but, obviously, when you get a Norris... Trophy winner traded for the first time since 1961. It's a big deal. Eric Carlson at 33 years old, joining 36-year-old Sidney Crosby, 37-year-old Evgeny Malkin, 36-year-old Chris Letang on the Pittsburgh Penguins 
as Pittsburgh sending a protected 2024 first-round pick forward Michael Granlund, defenseman Jan Ruta to San Jose, and uh, goalie Casey DeSmith, defenseman Jeff Petrie, and a 2025 second-round pick and prospect Nathan Legare to Montreal. There's other moving parts, but let's ignore all that for, for the time being. Let's talk to our friend Ian Mendez out of Ottawa at The Athletic. How's it going, Ian? Hey, Ben, doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, how often are you inside a hockey rink in, in July or August? Man, I was so jealous of you when you just said this was the first time you'd ever stepped into a rink <laughs> in the summer. Because, A, you know, covering the NHL for years, uh, you unfortunately end up covering some of these informal summer skates that happen in, oh, right. uh, you know, in your city, uh, you know, in, in August. And, and, you know, our our, old, our youngest daughter uh, plays uh, plays ringette and, and, and does it through the summer. So, uh, in fact, I've got to head over to the rink tonight for uh, for a little four-on-four oh. uh, ringette to watch. But but you know what? I I just wish more, uh, especially, I guess, with hockey, that, that, that the kids were a little bit more well-rounded, right? Like, like yeah. Take, take 10 weeks off hockey. Go play go play baseball. Go play tennis. Go play whatever. Just go, go do something else instead of it being a 12-month, a year ordeal for uh, for these kids because I think you'll love it if you if you step away for it for ten weeks I think you'll love it even more when you come back right yeah spend some time playing like holding poker or something yeah no my my, <laughs> my no my kids do that that's that's the whole reason I it was yeah. it was like kind of a conscious kind of a, a, a subconscious thing that I I didn't necessarily like he'd asked to play some spring summer hockey before and I I never I didn't really give my seal of approval partly because you know who wants to commit to 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 us you know being inside at a rink uh during the summer but no I I, I acquiesced and he, he played uh a little pickup game the other uh week so you have a, a story out on the athletic how Eric Carlson's legacy has always been tied to the Penguins and some of those moments in there not so great but yeah it does I mean I mentioned all those those 30 somethings in Pittsburgh it does feel like kind of the right landing spot for him it, it does, you know, doesn't it kind of feel like a little bit, Ben, like almost like this is what an NBA team would do. Like, let's load up yep. with a couple superstars and, and, and let, like kind of see what's happening. And, and we don't really have, I don't, you know, the last time I can really think of an NHL team trying to go full super team mode. Remember those early 2000s Rangers teams where they were, yes. you know, they were getting Pavel Bure at the end and Eric Lindros at the end and, uh, you know, Messier was there. And I, like they were trying to kind of shoehorn something in, it didn't didn't quite work out. But but I think this is a little different in that, you know, I think Crosby is still certainly one of the ten best players in the game, and and arguably one of the best five. Like like I don't think you can really deba- debate his spot in the game mm-hmm. uh, even now. I think you can count on one hand if if that the the players ahead of him. So he's still in in his prime window. Uh, you know, Carlson's coming off a 100-point Norris Trophy-winning season, so I think you can argue he's still certainly uh, in his prime. So this is a little bit different than than some of the things we've seen uh, in the past when teams have maybe tried to do this, or even if you think of those those Leafs teams yeah. just before the lockout. Yeah, Ron uh, Francis. Of, yeah, Leach came in and yep. Housley came in, and uh, you know they, they they were adding guys. Uh, at the end and and but this again these are these are everybody's kind of in their prime but the the question i have the, the, i have fewer questions about carlson and crosby and more about Latang and malkin and, and that is really rooted in, in their ability to stay healthy because i think if they can um i think that there'll be a threat and and, and if not it, it'll be tough for crosby and carlson to carry this thing but i think with all four of them if they're able to stay relatively fresh 
boy, I, I like their chances of certainly making the playoffs. And then you probably, if you're an Eastern Conference team, you wouldn't want to go into a playoff series against Sid and Malkin and Crosby uh, and, and, and Latang and, and Carlson. So it, it, at the very least, I think what's great about this is it gives us a, an entertaining team to watch in the NHL. Like there, there's very few teams in the NHL where you think, you know what, this could be appointment viewing or we should tune in or let's buy tickets when that team comes to town. I think the Penguins might be near the top of that list this season uh, coming up. I 100% agree. And as long as Sidney Crosby and to a lesser extent of Evgeny Malkin are on your team, like you're not going to rebuild. And Crosby is still productive. And yeah, and, and Malkin's still productive. And Latang's still productive when, he, when he's on the ice. Like, the idea that they should have torn it down because they missed the playoffs by a single point, by the way, like they were the difference between the Panthers getting into the playoffs and not because they lost game 81 to the Chicago Blackhawks. They win that game. They're in the playoffs likely. And the Panthers aren't. And who knows? Maybe, I mean, they, they don't have Sergei Bobrovsky, but maybe they go on a, a similar postseason run the, yep. this past season. Like, and, and they have the three cups. So they got the equity in their, their back pocket. Uh, I, and okay. Yeah. You're going to have some hard times when Sidney Crosby's no longer playing for your franchise. That was the case either way. Like I, I honestly, do, I, I find it very difficult to, to criticize the Penguins in any way, especially when you consider what did they give up? Like nothing of significance. Right, and I and I think if if you ask most Penguins fans uh, and said you're going to execute this deal, and you're going to get out from under Petrie and Granlund, yeah, you'd be like, okay, what am I missing here? Like yeah. how many first round picks? Are we giving up? And the answer is one, right? And, and, and it's so, protected, I think, too. And it's top ten, exactly. Yeah. Top ten protected. So yeah, exactly. We're getting through, going through all the mechanics of it, which becomes very, very, I think, laborious for listeners to to go through here. You know, here's the nine pieces, whatever right. involved in the deal. I think to just look at this broad strokes. The Penguins came out of this by get, getting Eric Carlson. Uh, getting him now. The the, the great question was going to be retention. Like like was San Jose going to be willing to eat up to 50%? And the answer is no, clearly no. They, they weren't willing to eat uh, that much money. And maybe that's the reason why that the return for for him is a little bit diluted. But mm-hmm. you're Pittsburgh. You got four years of Eric Carlson, uh, you know, at, at a little bit of a reduced hit from, from uh, the $11.5 million, and, and you got out from under those those bad contracts. So I think this is a, a great situation for the Penguins. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess my question would be, if you're one of the other teams that were rumored to be in on Carlson, um, how are you feeling that this was this at the end of the day, this was the asking price for him. It wasn't mm-hmm. multiple first round picks. It wasn't, we need your, your A-list blue chip prospect. It was, it was this. And, 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 and I, I, I would think that there would be a couple of other teams in the league thinking, boy, we probably could have done, we probably could have done better than that to get, to get Eric Carlson. Yes, and the detractors will will point to the fact that he was a minus player despite having a 100-point season. But yeah, on an absolutely awful, awful Sharks team. And they were obviously much better with him on the ice than they were with him off the ice. And you know what's great about your story, uh, Ian, is that you you pose questions that that you didn't answer, so I can just pose them back at you. So (laughs) how differently would we think of Eric Carlson's legacy if he had won a Stanley Cup and a Conn Smythe Trophy with Ottawa if they weren't bounced by the Penguins, and of course that epic uh, double overtime game seven in 2017, because he got he got Conn Smythe votes, which I didn't realize, despite the fact they didn't even make the finals yeah. that year. They they got to double overtime in game seven against the Pens, and then the Pens go on to to beat Nashville in in what six games in in the Cup final. But he was the best player in the postseason 
to that point. And if they score a goal, right, like it, it, it's uh, not that difficult to imagine that instead of Chris Kunitz, it's, you know, an Ottawa Senators player, maybe even Eric Carlson himself, and then has the, the, the cup final that he was having, you know, if he just continues his performance in the postseason into a six-game cup final and wins a Stanley Cup, like w- what is the conversation around Eric Carlson at this point? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a great question, right? Because I think well, you posed it. Yeah, exactly, and 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 that's why it's a great question. That's no, right. Um, no, um, but, but I think if you go back and you think in your mind, you know, what are the best singular kind of individual performances of somebody kind of carrying their team through the playoffs? You know, your mind automatically goes maybe Patrick Waugh in '93, maybe Hoshik in '99 when Buffalo just came up short. Uh, Jaguar, I guess, would be one in 03 when, again, the Ducks come up just short. But you're always you're, you're naturally inclined to go to the goaltending position. It's very rare that I think you would find an instance where a skater was so single-handedly responsible for carrying uh, 17 fellow skaters and a goalie. But that's what it felt like with Eric in the spring of 2017. I, I'm not sure in the cap era I have seen a defenseman play at that level. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for a sustained period of time. And it was a magical, marvelous kind of magic carpet ride for, for whatever it was, eight weeks, six weeks. And I think, honestly, I think if he wins that cup and Ottawa wins, like, A, I think that probably certainly cements his legacy in this city as, hey, let's raise that 65 to the Raptors. Maybe he never leaves because it's, it's just everything, everything is different. But I think the narrative around him externally changes too because I think Carlson – for all of his greatness is a little bit with a lot of fans. There's a little bit of a, yeah, but factor, yes. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he's never won a title. Yeah. But he doesn't play defense. Yeah. You know, you, you can, yeah, but him to death because it feels like he's still in, in, in some ways, despite three Norris trophies is a little bit of a polarizing player. And so I think if he has that cup and it's an automatic that I think he would have the conspite with it, I think it would change our feeling towards him. And I think a lot of people would understand. Like, I think that's the one understated thing on Carlson is that people see him as flash and dash. And what you don't see is the determination of a guy who came back from not one, but two yeah. very serious injuries that I think really could have affected, uh, effectively limited him in the future. Obviously, the Carlson, uh, or sorry, the, uh, the Cook uh, slash in uh, the back of his uh, Achilles tendon with the state escape blade in 2013. Uh, that was massive. I think that altered his trajectory. And then I think the playing basically on one leg in that 2017 playoff, he had to go for ankle foot surgery afterwards. And to me, he's never been the same. And yet he still won North trophies after each of those major procedures. It's, it's, it's really remarkable, but I do think if he has that Stanley cup, people might look at him with a little bit more like, Oh yeah, that guy's got a grizzled edge. Whereas now I think they look at him like, Oh yeah, yeah. He's the, he's the hundred point guy. He's the flash and dash guy. But I don't think that that's necessarily the full picture on Eric Carlson. No, it's 100% not. And especially if you just look down at the point totals over all of his postseason games, including some of them with the, the San Jose Sharks. You know, this guy's produced when it, when it matters most. But going back to the, the, the Cook uh, skate to the back of his leg, we never. We, where's the the forensic report? It never came out. Like, do, do, is, it, is it hiding somewhere? Did somebody, do, <laughs> you should do some digging on how far down the line Eugene Melnick went in trying to figure out how he could prove that Matt Cook intentionally stabbed him with a skate. So I'm pretty sure. So this happened in 
February uh, February of 2013 was Cook on Carlson. And I think it was about a month after that that uh, the late Eugene Mountain came on your radio station, That's the right. Fan 590, uh, in, in Toronto and said, I am working with, uh, you know, doctors, and some of them are forensic doctors, and I intend to prove that Matt Cook did this intentionally. And if I'm not mistaken, and I, I don't have a computer in front of me, but I'm sure maybe somebody could Google this or whatever. I feel like in January of 2014, so just under a year after the incident, I'm pretty sure Eugene Melnick had a meeting with Gary Bettman, and I want to say it was Brendan Shanahan at the time, and he was given the opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, present his evidence or, uh, you know, state his case, so to speak. So I, I, I obviously I don't think that there was any chance of any discipline being doled out. It's not like 11 months could pass and then. Department of Player Safety says, oh, you know what, on, on second thought, you're right. Um, but, but, but I think at the very least, whether or not what, what, what Matt Cook did was intentional, I, 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 can't, I, I don't purport to try to get into somebody's head, but I will say it was reckless. And, and, it, and it's really unfortunate because I think it really struck down much in the way that like, you know, we, we lost some of the prime years of, of, of a guy like Crosby due to concussions. And, and there was a great debate right around David Steckel was, was David Steckel in that outdoor game. Yeah. Was he, was he reckless? Was he not? And there was a great gray area about it, but at the, the end of the day, we lost, I thought two or three years of Sidney Crosby at his prime. And, and, and I think when I look back at Eric, I think, boy, we can sit here and debate whether or not cook was intentional or whatever. That doesn't matter. I think what really hurts, is we lost two or three years of Carlson at his prime because in, in the, the kind of that 2012-2013 season, he had come off a Norris Trophy in his entry-level deal, mind you, and then he was arguably one of the best players in the game to start that lockout shortened year. I think he had six goals in 13 games, and which were a defenseman is just an incredible pace, and that's when Cook took him out. And that, to me, is, is, is the one that, uh, I mean, if you had told me at the time he'd come back and win two Norris Trophies, I'd probably say, oh, okay, well, then everything turned out just fine. But I'm still left with a little bit of a, boy, I, I can't help but think uh, there have been at least one or two more. And, and when, then when you get to five Norris trophies, yeah. now you're putting yourself on a potential to be in the conversation of the Mount Rushmore uh, of greatest defensemen, which unfortunately I don't think he'll get there now because of missing out on some of those prime years. But, boy, he was in his prime. Uh, he, I, I think he's the best of the salary cap era. Yeah, no, he was spectacular. Matt Cook, uh, he obviously had a history of doing stuff of that nature. Nothing quite like that. And on, I mean, I mean, I haven't gone back and watched it uh, in a while, but I just remember at the time thinking like, there's no way somebody can think in that moment to to be able to do that in time. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Matt Cook was was uh, malicious enough to to in fact uh, take out Eric Carlson for a large portion of that season. Only returned for the end of the regular season and then in, into the postseason. So. Listen, I, I know you're a great NHL reporter. I, I can't imagine you watched all 82 San Jose Sharks games this past season, uh, Ian. And, and I mentioned that, you know, the, the defensive numbers just in an overall sense were, were not great for Eric Carlson, who I'm sure prioritized, you know, racking up 100 points. Why not? You're on a team that goes nowhere. Why, why not have a great individual season? Um, there are some people who believe that he can ratchet up the defensive side of his game if put in a, a competitive environment, are you one of those people that, that believes that, you know, while he's going to be an offense first defenseman always, and that works when you score a hundred points that, that there is the, he's a little underrated defensively. Like, where are you on his defense? 
Yeah, and I think I think he he does get painted with a with a brush that he's not good defensively, which I think at times is unfair. If you just looked at uh, you know a metric like plus minus, you would say, oh yeah, this guy all he cares about is offense. But I think when you put him in to a competitive environment, and again, I'll go back to that 2017 playoff run. That whole season, I think he played the best, uh, arguably the best 200 foot game uh, I've seen him play, and, and he was really good defensively. In fact, the irony is. He got injured at the end of that regular season by blocking a shot, and and he was blocking a ton of shots uh, that season. And he was willing to do the things that year, and that would that ended up being Guy Boucher's first year as coach in Ottawa. Uh, but but he was doing things defensively that I hadn't seen him do uh, really since the Achilles injury. And when he was uh, kind of gone before the Achilles injury, I also found him to be very engaged defensively. That he did have that that explosiveness to, to get back and, and do the things that he needed to do in his own zone. So I, I do think it's there. I, I, I was really intrigued to read. Uh, Mike Sullivan did an interview with my colleague, uh, Josh Yoli in Pittsburgh for the Athletic, where kind of that was brought up to, to Mike Sullivan is, hey, Eric's got the reputation of, of, you know, maybe in his own zone, he's not as committed. And, and Sullivan dismissed that. And, and one of the things he said is, look, when you have, first of all, when you have the puck, you don't need to worry about defending. And that's so true. Like if if Eric Carlson is doing the things that he can do to drive offense, you're a little less worried. But what I loved about Sullivan is quote, and and I'll paraphrase here, but it was something along the lines of, you know, there are certain talents and players in the league that you just need to let them be creative, but they got, they have to play with a little bit of structure only so that their teammates understand and can anticipate what's going to happen. But you have to let, the creative kind of the artist, so to speak, like a Carlson, you got to let them play by instinct. And those guys are really hard. It's hard to kind of, to kind of nail them down and get them to play a certain way, because I think they're better when you let them freelance a little bit, but, but when Carlson freelances and he's kind of committed to defense, which to me, I've seen it happen and I expect it will happen in Pittsburgh. Boy, oh boy, he can be such a magical player at both ends of the ice. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. And like you said, they're one of those teams there that that's, yeah, you kind of must watch. I mean, them and the Oilers and maybe to a lesser extent, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I'm interested in in your opinion on on what could be a budding rivalry between the Leafs and Penguins this upcoming season, Ian, because obviously yeah. I, I'm going to be looking for like a, but you know, interactions I, i'm i'm gonna be, I, hopefully i'll be in the press box for for their first matchup actually i don't know if it's in toronto and i'll see you know like how kyle dubas is is being reacted to uh, amongst the maple Leafs executives and maybe some tension there and uh, obviously he he would prefer to to <laughs> to be on the winning end of this thing as far as you know the postseason success that he didn't have in in toronto but do you see that as like as 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 one of the the more interesting head-to-head matchups this upcoming regular season, Penguins and Maple Leafs. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, like you, I don't, you know, have the schedule in front of me, but, you know, let's assume that's a hockey night uh, game or, uh, you know, one of those those Wednesday games. And uh, what are you going to be looking for when you tune into to Sportsnet? You're going to be t- tuning in to see the the, the, the arrival shot yep. of Dubas and, and maybe Jason Spezza, and you're going to be like, man, are they going to stop? Who are they going to stop and talk to? <laughs> Who are, are, you know, and, and it's, it's great theater because I think, the Dubis departure, uh, and then, you know, Jason at the same time, Spets at the same time, it was, you know, wrapped in a little bit of, uh, a little bit of mystery, right? Like, like kind of what, like people would love to know exactly, exactly how it played out. Now, Brendan Shanahan, to his credit, absolutely laid out the, the, the timeline for how everything played out, but, but there's still a feeling of, wow, I wonder if there's 
you know, residual animosity or bitterness there. Uh, and I certainly think it, it adds to it, right? Because the Penguins are going to be one of those teams where uh, I think they're all in now, right? Like, they missed the playoffs last year. And Toronto, I think a lot of us are like, man, which way are they going? Like, I, I see them as a playoff team. I, I, I'm not doubting their, 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 their playoff odds in the Eastern Conference, but um, it feels like they're at a, a, a precarious spot in their, in their competitive cycle where they could go one of two ways in, like, in the next 12 to 18 months. And so I, I think Toronto on their own is a compelling team. I think Pittsburgh on their own is a compelling team. And then when you add the Dubas, Spetsa sort of um, layer to it, uh, yeah, I think the, the two or three times that they meet head-to-head will, will, will make for some, kind of some must-see TV. Uh, luckily for us, they, they do have the, the schedule on uh, the World Wide Web. Uh, so they, <laughs> the Maple Leafs go to Pittsburgh November 25th, and there's a return affair about a month later in Toronto, uh, December 16th. Yeah, that's Hockey Night in Canada. Both games are, are Hockey Night in Canada. So that'll, that'll be a whole lot of fun. Can't, can't wait for that. Well, actually, you know what? I, I can wait because that means that summer's over. So let's, let's just get through <laughs> the rest of our summer and then uh, get uh, into hockey season full on. Uh, Ian, really enjoyed the piece. Thanks for, uh, for joining me today. Yeah, you got it, Ben. My pleasure, and have a great day. You too. There's Ian Mendes, senior writer at The Athletic. Um, so he mentioned, like, the, the type of company that Eric Carlson could be keeping if he had a couple more Norris trophies in the bag. Well, of the nine defensemen who have won at least three Norris trophies, he's the only one without a Stanley Cup. So that... I mean, already you're in, and it is true that you go down the list of greatest players in the history of the sport. Man, everybody eventually gets their cup. Hasn't happened for him. He's been so, so close. Double overtime of a game seven of a conference final where the matchup in the Stanley Cup final was against a pretty clearly inferior Predators team that could have been his. Maybe this is it. This is such a random sport. And they were one point away from being inside the postseason. They just beat one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League, a team that was, I mean, the players weren't pretty clearly, but an organization that would have been just pleased as punch to continue to lose games. They lose to Chicago in game 81. They miss the playoffs. The Panthers end up in. The Panthers go all the way to the cup final. And the Penguins do a total front office shuffle and Maple Leafs fire Kyle, Kyle Dubas, and he ends up in Pittsburgh. And I understand why you, Leaf fan, would want to dunk on Kyle Dubas and would want this to fail and can point to reasons why it might. I mean, the number one reason is how old everybody is. And yeah, I think the number one reason to think that it might fail is maybe regression for guys in their mid-30s and certainly guys with injury history. Injuries... And them not being available for this team with now even less cap space than they had going into this season. But I really do have a hard time seeing the downside to this. I get it. You have to pay almost all the freight. Sharks are eating just over a million bucks in cap space over the final four years of this deal. So four years represents two more years than Crosby and Malkin are under contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And one fewer, actually, than than Chris Letang. Crosby and Malkin are going to finish their career as Penguins. Like, I don't I don't see any scenario. Like, the last opportunity, like, there was a moment there, right, before Malkin signed his last deal where you thought, ooh, could this actually be a parting of ways between Evgeny Malkin, one of the top 100 players in NHL history, and the Pittsburgh Penguins didn't come to pass. He's under a a, a good enough deal 
Like, he's making just over $6 million bucks a season. Those guys are going to re-up in Pittsburgh. They're going to be Penguins as long as they want to be Penguins, unless this goes totally pear-shaped, unless we are talking about the, the play on the ice being so abysmal that this Penguins team is not just missing the playoffs by one point, but, like, at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, which I find hard to believe as long as everybody's healthy. If that's the case, once you get in, the upside potential of this Penguins team with future Hall of Famers littered down the lineup is Stanley Cup. Why couldn't they? They just got to get there. They just got to get this team into the postseason and obviously get like respectable enough goaltending because that's the magic elixir when it comes to any National Hockey League team. This team can win a Stanley Cup. Eric Carlson has been a postseason performer throughout the course of his entire National Hockey League career. He hasn't won the ultimate goal, but if he caps off that 2017 postseason run with a cup, we're talking about the, the, one of the greatest postseason runs a blue, line, a blue liner's ever had in the history of the sport. And I know Kyle Dubas, this is his first year in Pittsburgh, but Penguins fans understand that this organization is kind of playing with house money at the moment. They have their three cups. Sidney Crosby is a top 10 and probably top five player in the history of the sport. They re-signed Evgeny Malkin. They re-signed Chris Letang. It's going to be wandering around in the wilderness at the conclusion of their careers, but it was always going to be that. And it's not like the, the apples to apples comparison of it, you know, looking at the Blackhawks that also had a dynastic run, but then hit a wall and, and spent too much time with those bad contracts anchoring that team down. The, we're, we're not talking about two guys making 10 and a half million bucks against the salary cap like Taves and Kane were. Sidney Cosby took less. Evgeny Malkin, I mean, it was kind of forced into probably taking less. But those guys are manageable deals. The only guy that's making double digits is Latang. I'm interested to watch it play out, and I don't discount the possibility that this is going to it's going to be a huge jackpot for, for Kyle Dubas after his inauspicious departure from the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. We have Toronto Blue Jays news for you. By the way, as they play game two of four in Cleveland against the Guardians. So Kevin Kiermeyer, after being cheese grated in the triangle at Fenway Park, and as it turns out, being afraid of blood, which we learned on the broadcast yesterday, needles and blood, Kevin Kiermeyer, not a big fan of. I mean, I can say I'm also not a big fan of. Um, I can look at blood, though. He has been placed on the 10-day injured list with a right elbow laceration retroactive to the date it happened, August 7th. Up comes Nathan Lucas, uh, recalled from AAA Buffalo. He will be active for tonight's game. Uh, They choose the defense of Lucas as opposed to maybe the offensive upside, like Spencer Horwitz that can produce and. As I mentioned to Casey Candell, manager of the Buffalo Bisons earlier on in the program, he's been playing left field. Spencer Horowitz has a little bit of experience in a corner outfield spot this season. We have a, a lineup, by the way, for the Blue Jays. And despite George Springer looking closer to peak George Springer recently, it's Whit Merrifield back at the top of this lineup. Brandon Belt is the DH hitting second. Vlad Jr. playing first base. He's hitting third. George Springer back in the cleanup spot, uh, cleanup spot in right field. Dalton Varsho, 
who's going to be, I imagine, the everyday center fielder with Kevin Kiermeyer on the shelf. He's hitting fifth. This is coming around recently. I think he's running a uh, four-game hit streak. And Danny Jansen doing the catching. Kevin Biggio at second base. Santiago Espinal at third base. So a day off for Matt Chapman. Paul DeYoung at shortstop. So no Davis Schneider in the lineup for the first time since he's been an active member of the Toronto Blue Jays. First day off in a while, to my memory, for Matt Chapman and Kevin Biggio after the big home run yesterday. And big defensive play, unassisted double play on a ground ball back into the lineup. Okay. And Dalton Varsho hitting fifth. I might be putting a couple ducats down on the under of uh, today's game. But yeah, that's the lineup today. No Kevin Kiermeyer, Dalton Varsho, your everyday center fielder for, I would think, at least the next week or so. All right, when we come back, is this Davis Schneider thing for real? Well, not today it's not because it's not in the starting lineup. Uh, and how back to his peak form did Hunjin Ryu look yesterday before he took the comebacker off his knee? We'll get an early start on Blair and Barker as we talk to Kevin Barker next. I'm Ben Ennis. This is the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, hopefully we'll benefit from, but I, I feel so good about this team. It's been uh, you know, some really good stories recently, obviously, with Davis Schneider coming in and giving us a bit of a spark. Uh, but George and Vladdy look good. I can't wait to get Bo back into that lineup. Fan drive time, Sports Time 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. That was uh, Toronto Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins today on MLB Network. Yeah, home games are good. You know what else is good? Playing bad teams. 18 of the Blue Jays' final 31 games this season are against last place teams. That's Washington. Last place in the NL East. Rockies, last place in the NL West. It's the Oakland A's, last place in the American League West. Kansas City Royals, last place in the American League Central. And the New York Yankees, last place in the American League East. And that does not even include teams that are obviously not in last place, but not exactly juggernauts like the Cleveland Guardians, who the Blue Jays continue their series against tonight with uh, Yusei Kikuchi on the mound, looking for a five-game winning streak, their first since the All-Star break. In fact, four-gamer is the first uh, four-game winning streak since the All-Star game. Uh, Lee, uh, a season-long winning streak is six-gamer back in April. Kevin Barker is uh, the Barker part of Blair and Barker, and he uh, he's 30 seconds early. He said he would be here at 440 but you're in studio right now. Thank you for the punctuality. Yeah, your producer came in and yelled at me. Said, Why did he do Get that? in here. I was no. like all prepared to do my own yeah. thing. like talk, <laughs> And I was like, I'm always here. early. If you're not early, you're late. On, I don't know if you truly believe that, but I do. <laughs> like, I, I, I do. Are you a punctual person? Absolutely. More than Alex Verdugo? Well, I mean, everyone, everybody has their days. <laughs> okay. He didn't admit to it, though. He didn't. They asked him about it, and he said, no, nah, it wasn't late. Uh, okay. I, I would I would admit to it. Anyways, um, good to see you. Uh, thanks for having me, buddy. Thanks for coming in studio here. So, 
I was all ready to, and we'll talk about David Schneider, but not, well, come on. That never happens on your show where your phone rings. I'm sorry. Sorry, it's my camera at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Someone breaking into your home? No, like, I, hope you not. I, a, hope uh, I hope not. I hope not. Have you, have you put on your cologne yet, or is that like before your show too? You don't. I, do- I, I did. I did a, a couple hours ago when. Oh, okay. I was getting ready to come into work, but I, I will do that again. Yes. Okay. All right. Anyway, sorry that distracted me. We'll talk about David Schneider, but he's not in the lineup today. Well, what's what's up with that? This guy's got to be playing every day. We yeah, have to know for four, and he's out of the lineup. That's the way it works. Like that's basically when you're hot, you're hot, and he's John Snyder's going to put you in the lineup. And, you know, it's sort of revolving door, right, with certain guys that are not everyday guys. And I don't think Davis is quite an everyday guy yet, right? It's a nice story. He got called up. He's getting some big hits, got nine hits in his first three games. Yeah, it's it's nice, but they have other guys that they need to play a lot. And Okay. Good. He's a good story, right? He's got a nice little swing. He could sit over there for a day or two if he doesn't play and – look like he doesn't miss a beat sort of because of his swing and, you know, the, his attitude the, of trying to just get out there and help his team win a baseball game. So, yeah, like I like what he's offering, right? Just sort of hopefully doesn't let an 0 for 4 mentally deter him from what he's trying to do offensively, defensively, right? He can play left. He's a good enough second baseman. He's not going to hurt your team. So, yeah, they're going to try and get everybody in there, right? You got your sure. everyday guys. You know who those guys are, and then you got the other guys. And, it's okay for Davis to be one of the no, other guys. No, it's, it, it's fine. But I am, like, I was curious to see, you know, what he is. Like, and I'm still curious. I don't I don't think any of us know what he is, right? Like, he's obviously not a guy that's going to hit 500 for his major league career, which he still is, even after the 0 for 4 yesterday. Mm-hmm. But he's had, you know, upwards of all, almost 2,000 minor league plate appearances, and he's got a pretty good on-base percentage. Like, he's been able to, to work his walks and, and work counts, and I think we've seen that at times in his brief foray into the major leagues, and, and he'll probably be right back in there tomorrow. Yeah, I, mean, I think they're looking for a guy who can drive in a runner from second. Like, that's the whole point, right, is if a guy's got over 20 homers, over 60 yeah. RBIs in the minor leagues, looks like he has a decent idea what he's doing with a dude standing at second. We all know this. We've talked about this to her blue in the face. Like, you can't, you can't talk about the runners and scoring position thing anymore. And if there's a guy in the minor leagues who's giving you a competitive at bat, yeah, competitive at bats equate to the dude standing on the on deck deck circle sees you doing it, wants to walk to the plate and try and do that right. And if they have talent and they have consistent competitive at bats, we'll give them an opportunity to score more runs. That's the whole point here, right? You'd, some would say, why is it taking them four months? That that's the thing, right? Is because you saw what, to call them up. Well, you no, you saw four or five different approaches with oh. the guy standing on second. Why doesn't one through nine buy into the same approach, right? If if another team can't hit the guy's breaking ball, why all of a sudden do you think you can hit it? Like that, that for me is the little bit of head scratcher. And I think, you know, they've, I want to say, embarrassed enough at home against the Orioles to whatever they were saying on that plane and before the game started in Cleveland basically said, or the Red Sox yeah. basically said enough's enough. We got to get together here. Look fastball. If I don't like fastball away, I'm not going to look there, but I can look fastball middle or middle in until I get to two strikes and then I'll choke up. I'll widen out. I'll you know, do whatever it is. I'll think right center. Like whatever your two strike approach is, you do that. But up until two strikes, we're hunting heater in a position or a location that I can do damage on. And I think you're starting to see a little bit of that, right? It's, 
if you get by into that, they got good enough swings, enough talent one through nine that they'll score more runs than they have been scoring. No, it it does. I mean, I've talked to you about approach all season long. It does feel like a, a, an approach issue. But you you were seeing a different approach with runners in scoring position because that's what I, I was trying to figure out. Like, why is this so different from a bases empty and and why is the strikeout percentage so much higher with runners in scoring position? You were seeing like a defined different approach with runners. Yeah, in scoring no, position. the Red Sox were are not good at pitching. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they they James were. Paxton is though, and they jumped on him. He game is. One. Well, the cutter wasn't real good when yeah. he doesn't have the. Lo- the location of the cutter, the late movement on the cutter. It's a BP heater, right? And yeah, again, yeah. give the, the the Blue Jays credit. When they got a bad one, they hammered that thing. That's what you're supposed to do, right? But for me, that gets back to I can get in an athletic position and ready to hit velocity, mm-hmm. and then I can adjust to everything else. It, I can't hit that consistently if I'm not looking for it. Like mm-hmm. that, that I think is what is, for me, a little bit of head-scratcher is – they're not going to throw you 15 sliders in a row. I mean, they're not Jordan Romano. Like, consistently, they're not going to do that. Mm. They can't go five or six innings trying to do that. So why not look for something in your zone that's straighter, that has a little velocity to it, get in an athletic position ready for that, and it will amaze fans on how many hangers they get yeah. when they're ready to hit the hater. Like, you can visibly see that they're ready to hit it. Now, are they always going to hit it? No. Because that dude standing on the mound is good, and he can locate that occasionally, and he will throw it to some weaknesses, right? And there's still obvious guys, right, that don't like the elevated fastball and don't like the breaking ball. But I saw Matt Chapman take a 1-1 breaking ball right down the middle. When's the last time you seen a guy do that? Mm-hmm. That would tell you that he's sitting heater, right? Sit heater till you get to two strikes. And then you're fighting and clawing to try and just put a ball in play. And then a lot of that two-strike thing, unless you're Bo Bichette's luck. So get by into that, right? Because obviously for the last four months, that hadn't worked. No. So let's try something else. And I think they're at least getting by into let's try something else. Okay. I'm almost done with David Schneider, but I like, I I'm intrigued by guys. Five foot nine is 28th round pick. Listen, you were no bonus baby yourself, but you know, the the third third round. Yeah. Third round is. A little different than the 28th round. In 96 it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Third, third round in, tw- in 2023, I would probably not be working here. <laughs> I mean, that's enough money <laughs> yeah. to make you well, happy, right? I suppose. Uh, but yeah. I'm just talking about, like, the organizational pressure for you to reach the major leagues when you got, like, you know, there's more than a couple of scouts who said, yeah, draft Kevin Barker. When you're a 20th, right? It's a lottery ticket, right? Like high school yeah, kid. you could say that. I, I think so. And he wasn't even an everyday minor league player until, what, last year? We had Casey Candell on uh, mm-hmm. last hour, and he said the same thing. Like, he, he took advantage of the opportunities sure. that were presented to him. But mm-hmm. I don't know how much of what we've seen throughout his minor league career are like is translatable to the major leagues in the brief time that you've seen. And you mentioned the simple swing. Like, yep. does he look like a guy that has staying power at the major league level? That's a great question. I, what's the expectations I, for okay. Davis? If you, if you would have, if you'd line up fifteen Jays fans, yeah, just random Jays fans, how many of those you think would know Davis Snyder? Not many. Like no. that. That's the thing, right? Is I don't know what the expectations are. I think you enjoy what you're seeing from him, from him when you're seeing it, right? It, it's Does he look like he can hit velocity? Yeah, I think so. I think it's 
He simplified, eliminated leg kick at the minor league level. That mm-hmm. little toe tap thing that he has allows him to get in an athletic position. That's the point is, and you hear whenever Hazel or whoever else is sticking a microphone in his face, he will say, mm-hmm. I'm looking fastball until I get to two strikes and I got to swing at something else. You try and simplify it in the big leagues. Like these dudes are good. Yes. They throw really hard. There's no fastball counts anymore. We've seen 3-0 curveballs yeah. a lot. We've yeah. seen three, two bases loaded curveballs. There is no fastball Guy counts yesterday anymore. Was doing that all so the time. you have to get ready to hit velocity and adjust to everything else. You like his mindset. You like the level swing. You like the simplicity of the lower half, which is exactly what you need. Repeatable. You know, we talk about Alec Manoa all the time, right? Because of the conditioning, he's falling off to one side. He couldn't repeat the arm speed and the release point on both of his pitches. Now he looks better doing that because he's better with his conditioning. Hitting is no different. If I can repeat that thing and get in that athletic position on time Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again, it just allows me to see the ball better. I don't chase as much, Mm -hmm. and I get my pitch more often. And just by watching him, I mean, I'm not going to say that I sat and watched him 100 games in the minor leagues because I'd be lying to you. But the games that I've seen him play, it looks simple. He looks like he has a plan. Yeah, That's all you can ask. Is he an everyday player? Probably not. Oh, really? I don't think. I mean, probably. When everybody's healthy, where's he playing? Second base, maybe. Uh, Whit Merrifield's pretty good there. Yeah, he's playing left field for me. The outfield defense is pretty good with Dalton Varshaw. I mean, we've turned the corner a little eh. bit with the offensive side of it, right? There's other guys that should step up, I think, quicker Mm. offensively. The defense is a big deal because of how good the pitching is and where the pitching's taken this team. I just, look, it's, I don't Mm. know. I think it's, is what it is, right? Has he taken jobs? I Santiago Espinal's playing third today, right? Well, we'll see. When Bobachet is activated, somebody's got to go. And and yeah. I, well, and now when Kevin Kiermeyer is activated, so that 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 prolongs the you know the the sure. thought process here. You don't have to make because he can play left and they can mix around and yeah, you know, put Varsho in but center. It's and probably going to come down to like Davis Bo- and left, and then they can mix and match, right? No, but like when Bo comes back, right? Because uh, you're you're already yeah you're, you're running a seven man bullpen with the six man rotation, but when Bo comes back, you, it basically comes down to Kevin Biggio, who had a pretty big home run, had a pretty good game yesterday. You ha- you win a game that keeps you in the big leagues. Yep, Santiago Kevin helps win games. Santiago Espinal, who was an all star last year, and you know maybe partly due to playing time, but yeah, that the, he hasn't looked like the same dude. And honestly. Like the defense seems different this year. For I him think too. his headspace is not there, right? I mean, I'm not going to speak for him. It's wrong. I won't do that. I mean, I was I used to try and be a big leaguer. It's hard. And then yeah. when you don't play every day, and I've never been an all star at the big league level either. He was. And yeah. Now you're not, and you know you had a bad second half after you were an all star, and that sort of tells I think organizations that just the wear and tear of trying to be an everyday player, yeah, is not the easiest thing to do. And maybe they're, you know, they're sort of bought into he's not that. Mm. And I think maybe that sort of looks the way it looks whenever he's playing. Do you like him defensively? Absolutely. Do you like him running off a second base with Alejandro Kirk at third? Absolutely not. (laughs) Those are plays I'm telling you. Right? It's the Kevin Bishio thing. You make a great defensive play late in the game with a double play, you hit a big home run. That keeps you in the big leagues. Yeah. Have we seen Santiago Espinal do that this year? That's the thing, right? When you're the 26th guy, yeah. I was the 26th guy when there was no 26th guy. I know how that is, right? Mm-hmm. And now you have to do something to help a team win 
baseball games. And if you don't think that's Santiago Espinal, it's just Might sort of be. the rubbers met the road with who's going down and how they're making out their team. And if you like John Snyder or not, he's not afraid to do whatever it takes yeah. to win a baseball game. He's moving around every day, guys. He's moving around dudes that make $150 million. Moving around to a tell guy. You that he don't he ain't going to do something with Santiago no. Espinal is no, he's, silly. He's moving a, a guy who's what? The third all-time in leadoff home runs out of the leadoff spot? Absolutely. To and, win because there's a better option at that time. And he's it's hit, about winning. He's hitting, though, again, is George Springer. And he's he, even with well, no yester- Whit Merrifield yesterday. Yesterday would have been the, the, yeah. the, the chance to do that. He didn't do it. That would almost tell you he's not going to do it again. He's not leading off today. I haven't looked. No. no so I, that would almost tell hitting, you, right, that. Clean up again. It just seems like the at-bats are better. They're looking for George to drive baseballs. You know, you'd rather him be trying to, you know, slug instead of getting on base. If he can go two for five with two doubles and two RBIs, you'd take that instead of, you know, a one for five with a homer. It's that kind of thing, right? It's the traffic on the bases. It's protecting. It's just setting your lineup in the right way to help maybe the guy not only in front Mm. of you but behind you get you better pitches, the new approach. Like, it's – hopefully everybody is pulling in the right direction and they're starting to – I do think it's a it's a approach away. Let's let's say that. Stop overswinging. Stop guessing. Yeah. Stop chasing. Yeah. If you can do those three things because your lineup has a lot of talent, you're going to score tons of runs. And, and what you've done the first, first four months, quite frankly, is embarrassing. Don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it anymore, because of the reasons I just mentioned, you're going to score lots of runs. And because of the way you pitch, yeah, and because of the way you play outfield defense, you could turn around to be starting when you get big hits right there with the best teams in the American League. Well, I said it. Yeah, I'm, best I'm with Best teams you. in the American League. They are that close. And like I said, the the back end of the schedule, you got some some soft spots. Well, it's there. trying to make those last fifteen games not matter. That that's what this is about, right? If yep. you can do that, yep. because of your hitting, that's a plus. I hope you didn't use all your good stuff before. Your I show. got a lot of good stuff. All Tune right. in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of them. <laughs> all right, that's good. Uh, Blair and Barker coming your way in mere moments. Uh, Blue Jays and Guardians again from Cleveland coming your way after seven o'clock on Sportsnet and Sportsnet Five Ninety. The fan. I'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sports at 590 The Fan. Enjoy Blair and Barker, everybody.